Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And I'm the preacher, Dave McGuera. And as we closed out last weekend's broadcast, we're going to pick up where we left off with a very special guest by the name of Seth Davis. Some of you had a chance to get acquainted with him last week as we talked about this whole humanitarian effort out of Israel called Isra Aid. Seth is the executive director of the activities that take place here in the U.S. His office is in New York, but he works with uh, the U.S.-based teams uh, throughout the U.S. He's an Israeli-American, born in New York, but grew up in Ashkelon, if any of you know where that's at, just north of Gaza. And now he uh, is back in kind of his, uh, his main base as a child, New York City, and he brings with him uh, some wonderful, wonderful experience in the world of uh, philanthropy and, and nonprofit and, and really just being able to have a compassionate heart towards the issues of the world. So he has been in the field with Aid in Greece, Germany, Puerto Rico, North Carolina, Florida, and Northern Cal. He strongly believes that connecting the next generation of professionals in the USA with their counterparts in Israel while doing good in the world is the ultimate solution for strengthening Israel. Israel Aid was founded back in 2001. It's a non-governmental organization that provides life-saving emergency relief and long-term sustainable solutions for populations that have been affected by natural disasters or epidemics and post-conflict situations. To date, Aid has helped 2 million beneficiaries in 49 countries. And so once again, Seth, welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher, and thank you so much for giving us some, some of your time, as I know that you stay plenty busy. So welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. Hi, thank you so much for having me back. It's a real pleasure. And we're delighted. We're very much delighted. So just to uh, start off today, I'd like you to give some information about how people can uh, hunt you up so that they might even be uh, surfing the web while they listen to this particular broadcast. How, how can they learn about Aid? So they could go to our website would be the best tool. That's IsraAid.org. I-S-R-A-A-I-D. That O-R-G. Um, you could also do slash get dash involved, and that will take you to all the different options of joining our movement and being part of this whole network. I love that. So why don't you just give a brief introduction of what Israel is about and what you guys do before we kind of wade in a little bit further than where we left off last week. So Israel is a non-governmental, non-political NGO that was started in Israel. Uh, about 17 years ago. 
Um, and it, its main mission is to save lives, uh, build back communities, and bridge people uh, by creating sustainable solutions uh, following disasters. So, Seth, last time we talked about uh, the media coverage and how sometimes, you know, sometimes they don't cover the ongoing work. One of the uh, Israel aiding um, in a disaster around the world that I think was the most covered was in Haiti uh, several years back. And in fact, for our listeners, if uh, you want to see, there's a great, I think it's CNN, uh, you just type in um, Israel, Haiti, um, you know, it, it'll come up and it was a, it was a, it was a piece they did where they showed that, you know, here Israel's coming from thousands of miles away and they had a field hospital set up and they had you know, everything really, they, they were like the go-to organization on the ground and even the U.S., which was coming from much, much closer distance and many other countries as well, were scrambling. So I'd love to get a sense of, you know, how does, obviously this is a very sophisticated operation. How does it work? You know, like start to finish, okay, you know, Israel gets a call, uh, there's a disaster in Haiti or anywhere else. You know, how, how does it happen that all of a sudden you have doctors, you have supplies, you have everything, you know, st- start to finish. How, how does that, uh, how does that occur? Because it, it can't be an easy operation to, to execute. Actually, there's a famous story um, that we arrived first in Haiti after disaster, a few hours before the U.S. government arrived. And Hillary Clinton at the time was the uh, foreign minister. Sorry, and she got very angry at the teams. How did we make it first? And we actually went through the Dominican <laughs> Republic, which is the reason why we made it first. <laughs> and we would have made it sooner, but it took about you know 12 hours to fly from Israel. Um, I think it's Israel's um, culture of being very dynamic, very entrepreneurial, um, react fast, less red tape. Um, and this scenario is uh, uh, very advantageous for our response. Um, the Israeli army, the Israeli IDF, has a unit, a medical field unit, which is the highest ranked in the world. Uh, and we work together hand in hand. They usually send a team uh, for two to three weeks with the initial initial response, which is really about saving um, any people that are still alive, uh, if it's in rubble or any situation like this. Um, and then they have a medical field hospital that gives immediate um, medical attention. Um, many of the people that are reservists in the army that do this also volunteer with Israel. So Israel has developed over 17 years a roster, what we call a professional roster. And having these 2,000 people that have trained and committed to deploy after disasters, leaving their clinic, leaving their family, leaving their home business to go and help people uh, in the most vulnerable situation, uh, which many times hit them in a moment when they totally didn't expect it, um, is what makes Israel so strong and capable of doing it. So that's kind of you know how how it, how it works um, in Haiti. Um, it was a very very uh, huge devastation, obviously. Um, but we just uh, left Haiti actually under a year ago. So people don't know that we stayed for close to eight years in Haiti, um, and that's how you really bridge people. That's how. People got to know Israelis over the years, and they were used to seeing us in the community, working together to learn about trauma reduction, to learn about water filtration systems, to learn about different building resiliency in the community. And there's a famous story how age the number one uh, names for babies was Israel. Oh, wow. Wow. 
Well, you know, anybody who will take the time to kind of chase down the information about Israel Aid, I mean, it's an amazing organization. And their their vision is they, they, they want to build a world in which individuals, communities, and institutions have the resilience to navigate today's crises, withstand tomorrow's, and live sustainably. And their mission is to save lives during a crisis and then change lives by actively supporting local and national decision makers as they build a sustainable tomorrow. It's a wonderful thing that you guys have been so willing to invest yourself in. Let's talk for a few minutes about how how do you guys fund this? I mean, obviously it, it costs for you guys to spend the amount of years in Haiti, for you guys to move into these major areas of the world, whether they be Mozambique, whether they be Florida or Zimbabwe or Sri Lanka, I mean, we're talking about pretty serious costs and and then to fly, you know, plane loads of goods into some of these areas, uh, that's never cheap. How do you guys, how do you guys pay the bills on that? Yeah, so it's not an easy challenge. It's a rough challenge because most people want to donate and provide some financial support when the disaster happens. So three months later or a year later, three years later, is not as appealing um, to donors. For instance, uh, we're in Guatemala that was hit hard by a volcano um, about nine months ago. And now we're really scrambling um, to raise the dollars to continue the work for the next year at least. We're working with the Ministry of Education there. Um, In Japan, we did that for seven years. The art therapy was groundbreaking and a very introverted, non-emotional type of culture. Um, In Guatemala, it's working great, but sadly, the government doesn't really have the funds. Um, The donors are not really appealed to it. So, yeah, it's a challenge in many countries. Sometimes, sadly, we even have to close our operations sooner than we would have liked uh, because of a lack of long-term funding. Um, Same thing in Mozambique. We're now uh, scrambling and working hard to find the donors that would really, really want to build a strong and resilient community in Mozambique over time. So that is a challenge. Some countries, like South Sudan or Vanuatu, which is a small island out of the Fijis, um, South Sudan is the youngest country in the world since 2011, one of the most dangerous, actually. We have partnerships um, with big institutions like UNICEF, which many people has raised their eyebrows. UNICEF, it's a UN agency, and the UN is usually anti-Israel. But in this case, they appreciate our work in the field and are happy um, to work uh, locally in the field. Um, and also World Bank, which is a, a major institution that funds countries after disasters. So we work together with the government of Vanuatu and the World Bank. So, so some countries, we have big institutions funding us. Um, some, we have family foundations. For instance, in Dominica, it's a small island out of the USV Islands. They got hit by Maria. 95% of their island was decimated. 70,000 population. They've lost 15, 20% of the population have moved out of the island now. They have a real risk of uh, retaining their, their history and their country with all the youth moving out. So we developed this workforce development programs, which they could do on the island remotely since they're not doing farming anymore um, to, to think of a long-term solution. So there, for instance, we had a donor that owned a resort locally and really cared about the people, but not every uh, country is blessed to have that. So it's always a challenge. And many times I'll tell you, it's actually the individual donations that add up and enable this. So everybody, you know, gives something what they can. If it's $18 or $50 or $1,000, 
And it just adds up and really enables us to build a program that's long-term and really shows high impact. So really every dollar counts here. Yeah, it sure does. You know, you also network with other organizations, I think, uh, just like Operation Blessing and some of these um, groups that come along that really have been, you know, great supporters because they believe very much in what you do. I was reading, I think, uh, Bani Britt um, is a pretty big uh, supporter of ISRA Aid and and then you get into some of these areas and, and uh, partner with other groups. I know that I've got a young gal in my own congregation who serves with crisis response team that has worked alongside Israel. I think they're in, in Northern California. You guys were involved in that disaster of the horrendous fires. And so when, you, when we, we, we in America stop to think about, you know, some of the crisis and, and disaster that happens here in the States, how is it that Israel shows up to be a part of uh, a nation who is pretty self-sufficient, and here you guys are on the front lines trying to make a difference? I mean, that, that's got to be a bit mind-blowing for some of our listeners of why would Israel want to jump in and become a part of some of these kinds of things that happen in the States? Because um, Israel and its people always want to help. It's, it's in our nature of who we are as human beings. So it doesn't matter where it's in the world. And even in the U.S., that's a very strong nation um, and has the financial backing. Even within the U.S., there are many vulnerable communities that need that extra support. In the U.S., there's a big gap in the mental health space, which, which is an area that's growing more and more in the world, um, more and more knowledge. Um, an acknowledgement of it, because many times you look at a disability or physical injury, but you don't always look at a, at a mental injury. Um, so yeah. Israel's developed robust um, methodologies of dealing with this, helping reduce it. Um, in Chico, we work with the Boys and Girls Club uh, Youth Movement. When we went to Chico, we had 500 children from Paradise that were moved to Chico, where when the whole city was burned down, basically. And all the educators who, people in their late teens or early 20s, who were very, you know, young adults, they themselves were very traumatized. So they needed self-care yeah. and uh, tools. And then they were able to convert it um, to the children. So our experts have been deployed to multiple places in the world and have also dealt with the trauma of children in Israel as a result of terror and war. Uh, we're really impactful there. And we, we even helped the police and taking care of themselves and what they've been through. So that was really important for us to do. Um, there are many organizations in this space, you'd be surprised, even from Israel, that do this kind of work. Uh, Israel's the, the largest, but there are a few others that focus on other areas. Uh, for instance, water wells in remote areas, or, um, or bringing uh, uh, clowns uh, for medical um, uh, for medical engagement, what's called for, helps uh, people recover from illnesses. So Israel's really a, a global leader in the space, just like people in the nation. So let's talk about what you guys find in some of these situations that they've just suffered a horrendous disaster and you arrive and, you know, uh, I mean, it's got to be somewhat overwhelming when, especially if you guys are the first in there to see what, what is there and what's going on and trying to how to figure out how to triage the whole thing. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about some of the experiences that Israel has had in regards to what they find when they arrive in these situations. Look, you can find everything from total devastation of losing everything you've had in your life. Uh, people, the situations where there's loss of life many times, uh, they've lost, lost family members. The situations where we've helped, for instance, the Yazidis, where all the rim, women were brutal rape. Um, and, you know, they, they saw themselves a bit, you know, they went through a genocide similar to what the Jews went through with the Holocaust. So they really wanted to learn from the Jews how to bounce back and grow as a nation um, from the beginning. So each situation is a bit different. Um, it, it, it's all it's all pretty devastating because everything's relative to where you were before. So it all, you know, if it's a single mom in North Carolina that just lost half of her home and barely has enough um money to to provide herself you know a child with education and food so for her that's also very devastating so it's all relative it, it's all hard situations that really take a lot of time and a lot of positive approach and belief and prayers and hope to build back a life and you know we're there to help together and, and work together um, to build back well what's astonishing really many times when you go to these places you'll see people sometimes laughing and smiling which is always surprising to me it's not what you expect, but sometimes people in any place in the world are actually really happy people, no matter what, what they go through. And it's really inspiring to see that time after time, how they come together as a community and bond even stronger and help each other through the most devastating situations. You know, one thing that uh, we talk about a lot, actually, on the show is the Israel-America relationship. And many people mistakenly perceive it to be a one-way street that America provides uh, uh, aid to, military aid to Israel. And in fact, it's a two-way street where there are many ways in which uh, Israel is providing help uh, in ways big and small and tangible and intangible to the United States. And I, I think this is just one example that I, I think many people, I'm sure many of our listeners are probably surprised to find out that here is an Israeli organization that's going into places of need in America and helping out America. Yeah, I think it's a great example, um, but it's really a partnership. And part of what we're doing is also bringing now U.S.-based professionals to go with the Israelis to the U.S. or to Mozambique or to Kenya. So it's right. just another it's just another area where, for many years, it, it was Israel coming to different places or working hand in hand. Now it's really um, connecting the the roster, the professional roster together to really share the knowledge of both countries and make one plus one equal three. So that's kind of the exciting part of what we're doing in the States the last 50 years. So one of the things that I was reading about, I, I think if I remember right, you guys sent a team in to Sierra Leone to really help combat Ebola. And that was, uh, I mean, th you, you, you head into that kind of stuff with a bit of concern and, and really wanting to, to be extremely cautious and smart so that uh, none, none of the workers contract that. But that had to be kind of a uh, interesting and dicey place for you guys to decide to go and show up there. Yeah, I mean, so when our teams were going into um, Sierra Leone, everyone was flying out, put it that way. Uh, people were, just to remind the listeners, people were concerned this was going to be a world epidemic, uh, the outbreak of Ebola. Um, People thought it would be uh, deaths in the millions. Um, 
luckily was contained. Uh, still 10,000 people roughly lost their lives, which is a huge number. Actually, um, Isfid and some of its uh, leading experts were able to find out that one of the uh, reasons for the outbreak was improper burials um, of Muslims. And Israel um, staff had to develop a way to work with imams uh, with a very culture-sensitive approach and also utilizing uh, Israeli Arabs to work hand-in-hand -hand, um, to find other methods of burial that would be respectful to the religion but also contain the problem. Um, so it's actually an interesting story what happened there. The second thing that happened there was there wasn't really... Um, social workers in the country. Like they didn't have that profession. It didn't really exist in Sierra Leone. Um, and Israel helped work with the government to develop this profession. And nowadays, a few years later, there's 250 social workers across the country that work together uh, with families, not just for disasters, also for welfare issues. Um, and we received an award from the president of Sierra Leone in the last year, thanking us uh, for all the work we've done there. Um, yeah, we're very proud of... Uh, being able to help with that um, devastating uh, illness that really broke out there. One of the things that you guys have done is to endeavor to keep um, volunteer invitations out there. I think, you know, the, the effort to have humanitarian professionals and build a network there has been critical. But you, you take uh, lots of different volunteers. Uh, let our listeners know about um, the kind of volunteers that you have and how they might find uh, opportunity to be able to avail themselves. To join the movement? Yeah. Yeah, so I think I mentioned at the beginning, you know, they, they could go to the website, um, israel.org, join us. Um, and then there it has links to all the different ways of joining our movement. So if you're a professional in the medical, mental health, or engineering space, you could, you could work for us for a few months, or you could deploy as a volunteer anywhere between 10 uh, days to three weeks. It could be to Kenya, it could be to Uganda, Guatemala, Dominica, any of the countries around the world we're working in. About. Um, if you're a student, you could join a student's program for a year. It's a fellowship with two months hands-on experience in the field. Um, if you're a teacher, uh, we have a curriculum that you could um, inspire the teens that are very hungry to learn about this area of humanitarian aid um, and showcase what Israel does in the world. Um, and yeah, you could also become a supporter and a funder. Um, every dollar counts, so it could really help, you know, when after disasters to help uh, donate, to help uh, fund this operation, to help people bounce back to save lives and build back a community. And usually we don't build back to the level it was. We always try to build a few nuts. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, we're, we've been talking with Seth Davis this weekend, and I want to encourage any of our listeners to do some homework and find out about the amazing group called Aid. Seth, where are you guys currently serving right now in the, in the U.S.? So in the U.S., we have a long-term operation in Puerto Rico. Um, we did have an operation in North Carolina, in the panhandles of Florida, and then Texas. That, has, that we, we've finished, we've completed at this stage. And then Chico, uh, adjacent to, to Paradise, California, uh, we have um, a big conference we're sending up on trauma reduction tools and mental health advancement uh, with the various professionals. We did have teams on the ground for quite a while. Uh, now we don't. Now we're working more on a capacity building conference. Um, so that's where we are currently within the U.S. 
Good. Good. So. We and we also, I'll just add to that, we also have a preparedness program in LA and the Bay Area for professionals, which any professional listening can join and sign up for the IHPN. And very little funding and focus goes into preparedness, more and more. So out of 100% budget, it's said to be 3 to 6% maybe on preparedness. But the more that we'll go on preparedness, the less we'll have to be after the disaster. We're actually bringing lectures from Israel that come and provide this training and these uh, briefings for people in LA, Orange County, and the Bay Area. Okay, good. That's great. You know, Harold and I, we try to encourage our listeners uh, uh, just about every week that we're on. How can we uh, best pray for the work that Israel does? Look, everyone is an ambassador. So I think telling the positive story is what's important. Um, the world is full of hatred um, and we are our biggest enemies as individuals. And uh, we see a lot of it online today and the social media. People are very opinionated. Um, and it's easier for people to share their opinions behind um, the keyboard. Um, and I think it's important for, for all of us to go and tell the good stories, how people hand in hand, if it's Israelis and Israeli Arabs or people of all faiths, um, go together and deploy to the most vulnerable and dangerous um, and potentially places where you could get uh, a disease or an illness by going there, but really go to help save lives and build back communities and make people more resilient. So I think first and foremost, everyone should share the story uh, within that community. Uh, we have dozens of people that have deployed with us in the U.S. and they've all been trained and they're available to come to your community and speak and provide a lecture and show videos of what's being done in the world. And I think the more people focus on sharing the story, the more we will come together. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, I look forward to our paths crossing and uh, I so appreciate your listenership uh, this week and to all our listeners and so appreciate uh, our guest, Seth Davis. Seth, thanks for joining us this weekend. Thank you so much for having me. Harold, why don't, why don't you... Uh, why don't you inform our listeners how they can contact us and uh, take us off the air? So we'd love to have our, our listeners contact us by email, the old-fashioned way, uh, the teacher and the preacher at gmail.com. We respond to every inquiry we receive. You can also go to the teacher and the, and the preacher on Facebook our, on our page. We have a fact of the day where you'll find information about Israel and the world you often won't find in other places. And you can go to our website, teacherandthepreacher.com, where you can listen actually to every broadcast we've ever done from day one. And you can also see upcoming broadcasts and other information about the teacher and the preacher. So until next week, thank you for your listenership. And God bless Israel and all of our Jewish friends. And Seth, God bless you. Thank you so much. Much health and blessings to everybody. The Teacher and the Preacher will be back next Sunday for another discussion on how Christians and Jews can come to once again proclaim that the United States is truly a Judeo-Christian nation. To contact the Teacher and the Preacher, email them at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. That's theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and give you shalom. Shalom.